Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're coming up on our 30th anniversary here on Money Talk. This is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine the agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com. And you can also go there later and download podcasts. You can also go to the free app Sound to Cloud and do the same thing. And then this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a terrific idea to call or text early in the hour. It will give me ample time to do my best to answer your question, and it will avoid the globally despised bloviation. 512-836-0590. I just got a text. Let's just see if we can call that up. Here we go. Hello, Carl. Do you consider a market-neutral investment as a short-term or stock market asset? Also, what percent allocation do you recommend in a market-neutral fund with the possibility of interest rate cuts in a stronger stock market in 2024? That's an excellent question. So a market-neutral fund is supposed to gain its return regardless of the direction of the stock market. And so it's a broad category. Uh, and there are, for example, one strategy would be an actively managed stock fund where they, uh, managers took long or owned certain stocks and sold short others. So they might, for example, take one, let's just say one uh, industry group, say energy or healthcare. And their fundamental analysis would say these, these companies have better prospects than these other companies. And they would go long or buy the ones with the better prospects, and then they would go short uh, or sell short those that they think have less attractive future prospects. And that would the, the theory here is in a rising market, the stocks with the better fundamental outlook do better than the other ones. And in a falling market, the stocks with the weaker outlook do worse than the ones with the better outlook. And that's how they attempt to accomplish market neutral. There's another way to look at market neutral that Morningstar will call event driven. Uh, and there are a couple of probably the most popular, certainly the longest standing strategy in event driven, which also has market neutral characteristics, would be merger arbitrage. And the conservative uh, way in which this is done is that when there's a public announcement of a deal, let's say Microsoft buying Activision, okay, the merger arbitrageur, the people who have been do this, and they've been doing it for a heck of a long time, as I, as I alluded, they would look at the risks, the typical risks in a merger are, are, a merger are one, is it a friendly deal? Uh, or is it not? If it's not, that's a risk that the deal will not occur. Uh, are there antitrust concerns? Would there be some concerns about monopoly as a result of this? 
Are there financing concerns? Does the acquiring or acquire or company have the ability to close the deal? Do they have the financial capacity to do that? Uh, and so once that analysis is done, then what they will do is they will buy the stock that's being acquired. Because when this occurs, let's just suppose that company A has announced a friendly offer for company B for $40 a share. And prior to that, it, the, the, the acquiree, the company being purchased, was trading, let's say, at $33 a share. The stock does not go to 40 because there are the risks I just articulated, and there's also the time value of money. It could take six months for the deal to close. So the spread is what it's called, the difference between the acquiree's price and the transaction value. What they will do is they will buy the acquiree, and then they will either short the acquiror or take some other kind of strategy to hedge against the deal falling apart. So if the stock market rises, both of these stocks will go up and they will make money on the stock that they own and they will lose money on the one that they're short or however they hedge the position. And they simply wait for the deal to close. And when it closes, they make that spread. That's event-driven, but it's also market-neutral. It has characteristics that are more similar to bonds than to stocks. A good market-neutral year might be anywhere from 4 to, say, 7%. An outstanding year would be 10%. So a couple that I follow uh, that are in the event-driven are up this year approximately 55 five to 6%. I think the best year I saw was 10 However, the why would you do this? The attraction of this strategy, the event-driven strategy, came about last year when we had a terrible bond market and a terrible stock market, and the event-driven strategy was probably somewhere between zero and minus one or 1.5%. That's a real contributor to return in an overall total return-oriented portfolio. The other type of market neutral, which I'm not as familiar with and I don't personally use, will have some higher returns because it is, a, it is, it is not designed to deal with m announced mergers. It's a different strategy. And so the question is, do I consider a market neutral investment as a short term or a, as a stock market asset? I would say if it's a merger arb type market neutral, I would consider it as a, a bond substitute. So I wouldn't eliminate bonds, but it, sh it has shown over the years to outperform bonds in a rising interest rate environment. If, on the other hand, I was using the long-short strategy that I just described, then I would consider that a stock market asset. Thanks for that really ex excellent question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break and a good time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5, and when you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text that just came in. Hi, Carl. 
I meant to try to Google this, but do you know the 10-year rule for beneficiary IRAs? Do you have to take distributions in even increments over 10 years, or can you take all of it out in the 10th year? So for everybody else, this person obviously uh, has been studying up on this. For the longest time, if you received an IRA and just and you're not the spouse. In other words, if you're married and you have an IRA, the way the statute works is your spouse is automatically your beneficiary. If he or she doesn't want it or, or you both agree that, that you want someone else to have it, then there's a document that your spouse signs saying that's okay with her or him. But then let's suppose we have a husband and wife and it turns out that the husband dies first and the wife gets his IRA. She's not subject to this 10-year rule. She is subject to required minimum distributions. And then she passes away and leaves it to one of her children. That child has 10 years to take the money out. In the old days, that child could have spread it out over her entire lifetime. That's what people like to call the stretch IRA went away. And so she has 10 years to take it out. But she does not have to take it out in 10 increments or every two years or every two and a half years. You, she can take it out as she pleases, but she has to have emptied that, that account by the end of the 10th year. So that's unfortunate that we don't have the stretch IRA anymore. It does allow a person to do some tax planning. If it's a particularly large IRA, or the beneficiary is close to, say, the move from 24% marginal bracket to 32%, which is a big jump, she can take money out in such a way that she's not paying unnecessarily more taxes. So uh, if, if this person knew, the beneficiary knew that in three years she was going to retire and be in a lower bracket, well, then she'd wait till that occurred. So you can take it out as you please, but it has to be uh, done within 10 years. Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Marianne, you're on the air. How may I help? Well, Carl, are you going to be on uh, the air next week? <laughs> I am. I it's it's not Christmas, uh, and it's not even Christmas Eve. So uh, let's see. Is it a set? Yeah, the twenty third. Yeah, I'm going to be on. I'll be on. Uh, it's not television, so you won't see me in my red suit and my and my red hat and my white beard. <laughs> well, I'm so glad I have a week to. Uh, <laughs> find out everything I need to do next okay. Saturday before the year uh, okay. winds up. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I was just wondering, maybe, maybe in fact, if you might mention some of the year end yes. stuff we don't want to miss. Sure. Um, of course. Because when the year's over, it's over. Exactly. So would you mind doing that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I think this year presents a unique opportunity to get, uh, you know, they used to say, uh, make something good out of something bad. Last year was a bad year. It was the worst year for bonds in a very long time. And people that have bond funds, whether they're exchange-traded funds or actively managed funds or 40-act funds, they've generally been reinvesting their dividends. And it doesn't matter whether it's a taxable bond fund or a tax-exempt bond fund. You want to check what's called your adjusted basis. Hopefully that's on your brokerage statement. Because the one I'm familiar with shows two columns. The, it shows three, the market value, and it shows the amount invested, and then it shows the adjusted basis. 
And if th- bond funds can really have a huge difference in terms of your return that you got on your money invested and what it's and, and what the adjusted basis is you may have a loss and so if you have a loss in an uh and this obviously is in a taxable account doesn't matter in an ira or 401k or a roth or an scp so if you have that you can switch that and wait 30 days obviously you want to be in that fund you bought it in the first place i'd wait 31 days and go back in now the bond market ha- has more volatility than than people think um, we had a terrific week this year. This week, I mean, it, it was had a had a flat return year to date, and now uh, the uh, iShares AG AGG is up 5.06 percent on a year-to-date basis. So you probably don't want to be uh, you don't want to be out of that. But you can get into a similar bond fund to keep your exposure and your asset allocation the same, and then go back. The same thing occurs obviously with stock funds. Now, if you're an exchange-traded stock funds. They should probably not be paying capital gains, and if they pay dividends, there's nothing you can do about that. But if you have either a stock fund that's actively managed ETF or actively managed open-end 40-act fund, they may have paid a large capital gain distribution. I'm familiar with one that had about a 5.7% capital gain distribution. Now, that's not a huge gain. I beg your pardon, a huge distribution. But if you had you know, $200,000 of that, that's $10,000 and you reinvested it, you may have, may or may not have a loss in that. So you want to look at your adjusted basis on all of your holdings to make sure that that's the case. The other thing is if you're in a required minimum distribution situation uh, and you have charitable intent, if you've not taken all of your required minimum distribution, you can try to do a qualified charitable distribution. The time is running late because you have to get the paperwork done and the custodian has to be able to make the check out. Now, if you can get that done, you can either have the check sent directly from the custodian, say from Charles Schwab, directly to the United Way, or if there's time allowed and you prefer to do this, you can have the check from Charles Schwab sent to Marianne. The check is still made out to the United Way. And in that fashion, you avoid the taxation on the required minimum distribution, and you also get to follow your philanthropic uh, impulses. So that's the second thing that you would want to do. As far as, um, as contributions, uh, to Roth IRAs and IRAs, there's no year-end deadline on that. You have it until April 15th, tax filing deadline, I think plus extensions, but I could be mistaken about that. So there's no year-end, de- no year-end deadline on that. So I would say those are the things that I would look, the two kinds of investment things that I would look at. Now, it's a good, you can look at your investment strategy any time of the year, as we both know that, and you're, and you're a, a paying attention investor. But it's also a good time of the year because a lot of people, even if they work outside the home, may have a few days off. It's a good time to think about your asset allocation and to look at how your year is done. And this is the, I always talk about this because it's a big deal. When you, when you seek to answer the question, how did I do in 2023? The answer has to be compared to what? I mean, if I'm if I'm going to say, well, my goodness, the uh, Fidelity ONEQ, which is the uh, is the Nasdaq uh, ETF, through yesterday's up 43 plus percent, 
You say, well, I'm only up 10%. Well, yeah, but maybe you didn't own that. So you have to be very careful. I mean, NVIDIA's stock a week ago was up 270% for the year to date. You know, and the ARK Innovation Fund's going to be up like 60%, but it's down 60% from where it was in the past. So you have to make sure that when you're asking your, your year-end thinking about going forward prospectively and thinking about your investment strategy, you have to do your asset allocation and understand if I own bonds, then I have to have bond-like returns. If I own stocks, the same thing. If I'm an active investor like you are, and you want to you want to even you know slice and dice it and say okay I'm going to own you know small cap growth well then you've got to pick your benchmark to see how you're doing that's those are the things off the top of my head that I would consider for year in planning and consideration Marianne I really appreciate that Carl and you mentioned the Nasdaq being up yes. so yes uh, so much what about the other two uh, major well, the ones uh, I, well, I right every Saturday, yeah, every Saturday I use the ETFs because you can't in the, you can't buy an index. I look, I try to spread it out versus ver, you know versus different companies. So I look at the VTI, which is the Vanguard Total Stock Market, year to date up twenty four point five one. The SPY, which is the state standard, that's the uh, Spider. I think that's State Street Spider, which is the S and P five hundred. Up virtually the same thing, 24.6. As I mentioned, I use the Fidelity NASDAQ ONEQ ETF up 43.37. And then for my international, I use the Vanguard uh, International and their symbol VXUS to see how to see how it's doing. It's up 12.67. And then, as I said, for bonds, uh, you, you, you can look at the iShares AG, AGG, and that will tell you what what the what they call the core or the 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 kind of intermediate maturity uh, investment grade bond is, and those are the those are the ones that I I look at. Now, if a person has you know a high yield bond fund, then she needs to look at a high yield e passive ETF. You don't want an active because then you're comparing active managers. You want to figure out what your benchmark is. Now, I will tell you, institutions, and I'm on a couple boards. They use the MS. This is a long bunch of uh, of letters. The MSCI, AC space ACWI. That's the MSCI. Used to be stand, used to stand for Morgan Stanley Capital International. I presume it still does. But the ACWI is the All Country World Index. That's a popular one used by institutions like endowments and foundations because their view is we're going to invest globally in equities or equity-like investment strategies, and so we, that's what we're going to use as a benchmark. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do as well. So that's the answer to that part of your question, Marianne. Well, thank you, Carl, and I'm glad this is recorded so we can come back and I can study that. <laughs> okay, thanks for calling. See thank you later. You. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512-836-0590. I've got a text. Let's see if I can get to it before we take a break. Hello, Carl. Uh, that's the market neutral one, so I've already done that, so I don't think I have another one after all. All right, we're down to our last minute. I, I will just say to you, I have some really interesting stuff to talk about, the danger of large declines or large drawdowns in your investments looking using the NASDAQ. But I'd rather listen to you ask a question or send me a text at 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half 
of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for the rest of the hour together until 5 p.m. Central. You may listen online at NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Go there at your convenience to download podcasts or go to the free app SoundCloud for those podcasts. And if you'd like to listen to today's broadcast again, and Mary, for example, Marianne may do that, this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. Jeff, you're on the air? Yes, sir. Okay. How are you, Carl? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. How may I help? Well, uh, I've been one of those, ever since you started, been one of those uh, followers. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I don't know. I just always get so much out of it. Thank you. The last lady that you were talking to about yes. the 10-year IRA yes. issue. Yes. Um, help me understand, does that apply to Roths also? It, yeah, so it, it applies as the beneficiary IRA. For people who are just tuning in, and Jeff was listening, if you inherit an IRA, you are not the spouse of the deceased individual. If you inherit an IRA or a Roth IRA, you have 10 years in which to drain it, so to speak, take it completely out. Obviously, the big difference is you don't pay taxes on the distributions from the Roth, but the 10-year rule still applies to IRAs and Roth both, Jeff. I, frankly, I don't get it because what difference does it make because there's no tax liability. Right. You know, I can see where the IRS said we want that tax money, and Jeff's not going to take the IRA. He's going to take, take it over 25 years. Let's make him take it out over 10. But since there's no tax consequences to the Roth, I just I just think it's dumb, frankly. But that's what the statute is. Yeah, that's that's the reason why I was calling because really I know Uncle Sugar is going to want to get his piece of the pie. Yes. But that's the reason I rolled everything to Roth yes. many years ago. Yes. Uh, just to keep from doing that, and yes. I, you know, I just was trying to make sure at least. Uh, now, if I'm understanding this, we don't have RMDs on on Roth accounts. That's so correct. That's, that's absolutely one of the major benefits of a Roth is if you're willing, for the rest of our listeners, what Jeff's talking about is if you have money in an IRA, it could, it could have come from an employer-sponsored plan, you did an IRA rollover, or it could be your own tax-deductible contributions, you can take money out of that and put it in a Roth. There's no limit to how much you do. It's called a conversion. And whatever amount you take out of the IRA, you pay taxes on. And then you put that amount or whatever's left if you don't have the money elsewhere to pay the taxes. And the benefits of that, and Jeff's right, one of the major ones is a lot of people, and I'm guessing a lot of our listeners, look at their IRAs and say, you know, I'm either A, never going to spend all this money, or B, I I don't need it right now, and I'm willing to pay the taxes now rather than later or have my heirs pay it. They do a conversion. And then you don't have a required minimum distribution, never. And that's that's one of the major benefits for sure, Jeff. Okay, thanks, Carl. I always appreciate it. Thanks okay. again. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. 
Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's that text. I thought I'd read it, but I hadn't. Hello, Carl. What percent allocation do you recommend in a market neutral fund with the possibility of interest rate cuts in a stronger stock market in 2024? So, if that came to pass, the market neutral that would be long the so-called attractive, fundamentally attractive stocks and short the less attractive stocks, it's, it ought to do well um, because in the way the theory runs, in, if we have a strong stock market in 2024, those more fundamentally attractive companies are going to do better than the other ones, so it, it ought to participate. If it's an event-driven market neutral, like merger arbitrage, it's still positively correlated to the stock market. It's just not highly correlated to the stock market. I mean, last year is the example. As I said, last year the S&P was down 18%. The uh, NASDAQ was down uh, 30-some percent last year, and, and 32 as a matter of fact. And these, the, the, uh, the event-drivens that I follow were down between 0 and 1.5%. So they're, you could say they're positively correlated because they are. Stock market went down and they went down. But they went down a tiny fraction, so they tend to be less volatile. So it depends on the type of market-neutral strategy that you employ. Thanks for the question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. Tom, you're on the air. How may I help? Hello, Mr. Stewart. Hi. I'm not sure you can on this one. <laughs> so I keep well, I keep track of every penny I spend Good. personally and my business both on QuickBooks Enterprise. So I and my spending habits do not change. Okay. And so when I'm looking through, as of last Friday, my personal expenses are up 20% in 2023. That's shocking. Business, a little bit more than 20% wow. in 2023. And now I'm blessed to have had a return, as of Friday, of 24% for the year on my investments. Yes. The question is, it looks to me, like my inflation impact is 20%. They keep talking yeah. about these numbers that are yeah. small numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And and I look at it's 20% uh, year over year. How do I know how I'm doing yeah. on my financial return if I do not know what a dollar is worth? So I think you're going to have to go back since you, since you, you pay such good detail, attention to detail. You're going to have to go back to your expenses and start putting them in categories, because They're categorized. Well, you must, well, gasoline's off sharply, for example. Uh, chicken prices. For the, chicken for the prices year, are, for the year, our gasoline uh, fuel expense yeah. in the business is up thirty percent. I don't understand. Personal it. is yeah. up twenty five. Well, I just all I'm telling you is that gas is down for the year. I'm telling you, chicken's down twenty two percent for the year. So I, I don't, I can't answer it. Because what you're saying, it, no one's suggesting that prices have gone down. They're saying that the rate of increase has diminished. But I, right. I'm unaware of, I'm, I don't know what you bought that cost 22 or 24%. I haven't personally encountered that in my life. I, I, did, I had, a, had a, a client say that they renewed their long-term care and it was up 50%. I get that. 
But energy, I mean, my gosh, oil's down in the 70s from the 90s. So I don't, I don't know how it happens. You'd have to, you're, I'm sorry, but I don't know what the heck you're doing that causes that because it just doesn't match up with my experience. Well, what do you have to say about the validity of how they're measuring inflation? Is this, is this a measure of cost? Yes. Of yes. Everything? Yes. yes, it does. In fact, they actually, the, the Consumer Price Index is the one that gets the headlines, but it's the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, that the Fed looks at. And the reason is there's so much volatility in energy. So you could have a year where oil prices collapse like they did in 2008, or you could have a year where they skyrocket. So they exclude energy. And of course, as I said, if chicken's down 22%, that doesn't mean all food's down. So they tend to exclude that. Then the other factor is the housing cost. And it's a very complicated, uh, it's a rent replacement calculation uh, that the Fed uses. I will tell you, just based on the people at the Fed with whom I have interacted, that they are, that I think they do a good job of measuring price activity in the country. Now, I think the CPI, uh, which is the one that a lot of people pay attention to, can sometimes overstate and understate it because it includes food and energy. But they're looking, they're looking at you know all kinds of surveys that they get from manufacturers, from services, all those kinds of things. There's no question that services have gone up more. I mean, I I had lunch this week. And I, I, one of my favorite roast chicken places in Austin, I hadn't eaten there in a few weeks. And I'm, it's expensive, but it was $26 on the last time I ate there. It was $30 on this, this week. That's a huge well, what, percentage what, increase. What really matters is, was it delicious and did you enjoy it? <laughs> you know, two things. I enjoyed it, and I didn't know the price till it was over, so I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I'm not really griping but about yeah being able to figure out how I'm doing yeah. or not because yeah. that's one factor but you know the yeah. net worth went up so yeah. much and it yeah. was like well yeah. you know if I broke even yeah sounds I'm like happy. you did yeah it does. sounds like you did okay thanks for the call thank you Mr. Stewart <laughs> you're welcome you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ we're getting down to our last quarter hour you're running out of time to call or text 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. Stick around. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ five ninety AM and ninety nine point seven FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. If you have a question, call or text. 512-836-0590. Nick, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Hi. Uh, previous discussion about the inherited IRA. Yes. Uh, interesting, this, this week I was talking to a friend, and I was advising her at like a Nimrod, um, <laughs> to convert that into a Roth, but if it's inherited and there's no tax uh, and you have 10 years to drain it, maybe there isn't an option to convert it. I don't think you, well, now, if it's a Roth, if it's an IRA. It, it's, a, it's a traditional IRA. Yeah, and, 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 is, and is, she, is it a beneficiary IRA? Um, or or yeah. is it, she, so she, does, she inherited this IRA from somebody else. That is correct. I don't think she can convert it. I'm okay, not positive. 
go ahead. She's got 10 years, though, to drain it, and there's That's no right. tax on when she drains it. Oh, there is tax. If it's a traditional IRA, she has 10 years to drain it, and there is tax whenever she takes the money out. That's okay, cool. I misheard that. I thought, yeah. I, I was yeah. wondering, oh, what a heyday. No, no, that, no, no. <laughs> if it's too good to be true when it comes to taxes, it's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 10 years to drain, probably yes. not convertible. Yeah, I think it's not likely. I, I we've had listeners that confirmed that, but I just but it's my recollection is you can't. I know you can't commingle it with your own Roth IRA, and I'm pretty sure you can't convert it. But we'll 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 get we'll get okay. some, some listener will, will email me and let me know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Carl. Okay, Nick. Thanks for calling. Speaking to smart listeners, our listener Ken talked about the 10-year rule on inherited Roth. He emailed me and said, they, meaning you-know-who, the IRS, they don't want this fund to grow for perhaps multiple decades with all the growth being non-taxable on the inherited Roth. The solution for someone who does not need the money is to let it grow for the full 10 years and then do a like-kind transfer of the full amount to a taxable account at the end of the 10th year. Taking it out does not have to mean cashing it in. You can do a like-kind transfer. Thank you very much. 512-836-0590. Gary, you're on the air. How may I help? Yes, Carl. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, I'm on the IRA uh, kick also. <laughs> I... My wife recently died, and oh, I inherited it. But when the IRAs first came out, mm-hmm. we said it was a, a good idea to put in money. Uh-huh. Even though I made too much money, we yes. we paid the taxes yes. to going in. Yes. And every year when we take out our distribution, there's a amount, yes. a percentage of what we already paid in taxes Correct. that we reduce. Correct. Now, does that carry over? To me, my the answer is yes. There's for everybody else. What Gary's talking about um, is uh, you. Anybody can put money in an IRA, but if you make above a certain amount of money, you simply can't do a tax deduction. And back when you first started, there probably wasn't Roths, and but Roths can't be done if you make a fair amount of money either. So. When you take money out of a required minimum distribution, out of an IRA, and the contributions were after-tax contributions, what Gary's talking about is there's a form that's filed with your income tax, and it's you show the you show the after-tax proportion of the after-tax contribution proportion of the market value at the end of that previous year, and then let's say that let's make it simple. It's worth $100,000, and you put in $50,000 on an after-tax basis, and your required minimum distribution is $10,000. 5000 of that is not taxed because it represents the proportional amount that you put in on an after-tax basis, and 5000 is taxed because that's been, that's been the tax for deferred growth. My understanding, when you inherit it, that doesn't that continues to be the same way because you shouldn't be double-taxed on it. That's my understanding, Gary. Okay, thank you very much, Carl. Appreciate it. Okay, you bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here we go. Uh, I knew one of our listeners that said, Carl, inherited IRA cannot be converted. However, I use my inherited IRA to pay for the taxes to convert my own IRA to a Roth. I tell you, we got some smart folks listening. 512-836-0590. Tom, you're on the air. How may I help? 
Yes, Carl, just a question of, uh, uh, I've been thinking now uh, for a while about uh, getting some small cap stock. I don't have any right at the moment. And I was wondering about your thoughts about whether this uh, and the business cycle as well as where it currently is. Uh, Is that... Would I that think, be a good move? I think uh, it's, yeah, I think it's I think it's a terrific idea, uh, it, and I would say that the first reason is because the large caps have outperformed the small caps for so the gap between the performance is so big and for so long. The second is you can do it simply by just doing you know getting one like a, a Russell two thousand uh, index and do it that way, or you can split it and do a Russell 2000 growth or a Russell 2000 value, or you can pick actively managed growth or value or blend. If, if you look, you'll see that over several years, just about the lowest performance have been small cap value stocks. Can, and you compare small cap value with large cap growth. I mean, it's just ridiculous because of the magnificent seven, you know, NVIDIA and Microsoft and Meta and the others. And so just because historically there's going to, there's always been eventually a reversion to the mean, you're going to ha- you're buying a more out of favor asset class. Completely think that's a great idea. And, and if the economy, if the economy's prosperous, small cap stocks typically have much more of their revenues coming locally, meaning in the United States, versus Europe or Asia or South America, and you're getting more of a U.S.-centric portfolio, if, if, you, if that makes sense to you, the valuation on small caps is much more attractive than large caps, and the valuation on small cap value is more attractive than it is on small cap growth. So I personally, uh, I personally think it's an excellent idea. Okay, Carl. Uh, thank you very much you're, for that. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. You can sneak one in here at 512-836-0590. I was telling Marianne I might talk about this. I did something today because it's just so dramatic. I looked at the ONEQ, the Fidelity NASDAQ Exchange Traded Fund, and in 2021, it was up 22.38%. In 2022, it was down 32.07%. And through Friday, it's up a remarkable 43.37%. And so I asked myself a question. What if I started with $1,000 and on the first business day of 2021 and bought ONEQ and had those returns through Friday? It turns out that my $1,000 would be worth $1,191 and so if I took that, and this is, this is a simple math, and I divided that, if I divided that, that gain, that $1,191, that gain into three, because it was three years, and I know the compound return would be even lower, the return was 6.4%, 6.4%. Now, if by pure bad luck, it comes to the beginning of 2022, and I'm doing my asset allocation, and I look at it and I say, wow, that ONEQ was up a lot last year in 2021. It's up 22%. I'm going to buy some of that. And then it goes down 32%. And now it's up 43%. So if, today, if Friday were the end of this year, 
and I look and say, what's been, what's been my return? Well, my $1,000 is worth $973.92. So I have, over, I have a minus 2.6 return over those two years. Now, what's the lesson here? Am I recommending against buying ONEQ? Of course I'm not. But when you construct your portfolio, whether it's in your 401k, your IRA, your joint account, your individual account, you, you, <laughs> you need to look at bad times and say, how does this strategy perform when it's out of favor, right? Because you don't know when you purchase that asset. You have no idea what's going to happen in the next year or the next two years. And so the, the risk is the huge, what the, what the analysts call the drawdown. The risk is the huge drawdown, and then it takes so long to get back. And you can see the difference just by the fact of the person who bought it in 2021 versus the person who bought it at the beginning of 2022. And that really, really does make a difference. And so when you think through, I love that way of doing that. I learned that on an institutional board years ago, well, that idea that you take $1,000 and you play with it and take each of those returns and take $1,000 and you will then get a sense of what would be my real life experience, right? Not... Uh, what uh, the numbers say at Morningstar or whatever whatever the case is, because that's that's simply you may end up thinking, well, I'm this is a great return. It's just twenty five percent, but it turns out that it's not necessarily the case. Well, we've had a lot of fun this afternoon, a lot of good calls and texts. I want to thank Garrett for doing his usual terrific job and remind you that what Marianne and I talked about. Well, you're going to be off next Saturday, and you'll probably be with your family and friends and having a good time. And you turn to someone and say, you know, I'm having a good time, but I know the way to have an even better time, and that's to listen to Money Talk at 4 o'clock. So I'll see you then. Thanks. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 